1: I'm gonna guess Jason Pinkston is blue collar, yeah. Or do you think Jason nah, might be he's a, got little, a little boost to him? All right. Well, Jason Pinkston, former Browns offensive lineman, joins us now in the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep in the Dodge Ram God's Hotline. I, there are plenty of you tell me, Wyatt Tellers bougie? Yeah. The man, We're wrestling alligators? There's nothing bougie about that. Look at their home. Jason, are you bougie or are you blue collar?
2: I'm blue collar, man. Okay. Hard blue collar,
1: baby. He does own a construction company. I he, had that is, one in my back pocket. He is from
2: Pittsburgh
0: too, though. Ooh, oh yeah,
2: is... blue collar all the way.
0: He even says blue collar.
2: Yeah, yeah. Most okay. most offensive linemen are.
0: Can you think of
1: a offensive that's lineman a good, that, that's
0: a good Pittsburgh blue collar?
1: Can you think of a uh, an offensive lineman you played with that's bougie? Oh, n- honestly, man. Say Alex Mack.
3: No,
2: no, no <laughs> way. That guy is is very far from Joe, it. Joe Thomas. <laughs> No,
0: no, no, no. The
1: Butcher, Joe Thomas?
2: If I had to say one that was a little bougie, but not in like a bad way, he just had very good taste and wine and Italian food, I'm going to have to give it to my man, John Greco. Oh, that is an upset. I would not have picked Greco. I mean, he's from Youngstown. not in a bad way whatsoever no way bougie but he always had good taste and a good glass, a good bottle of wine a good pasta a good steak and like he like he is a phenomenal cook from what i found out you know he does a lot of cooking at home and a lot of he always has a good bottle of wine but not, nothing in a bad way with john all
1: right we're totally going to clip it that it sounds like a bad win we're going to send it to john just so we can get a little feud going here it's the off season, jason i think you'll understand
2: I love you, John, if you're listening.
1: All right, we're going to cut that, too. Uh, Jason, who are you rooting for in the playoffs now that the Browns aren't in it?
2: I'm going San Francisco. Ooh, why San Francisco? I I love San Francisco a lot. Um, My buddy, Dom DeSico, has been a scout there for some years since he retired from the NFL. I I, I just love them. Um, I, I love the way they play the game. Their offensive line, their defense is solid. Um, and, and they've got a, a quarterback that's the third guy up, and he stepped in there, and he's made some, some good plays, and he's, I think they've won the last 10, game, 10 games, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I just want to see them do well, and I want to see him do well. I think he was the last pick in the draft as well, so I'm definitely rooting for them.
0: How do you think the quarterback situation is going to play out for them? Brock Purdy's played well down the stretch, but, I mean, he's Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. I mean, he's he's inexperienced, and... I don't know. I mean, I, maybe he's the next Tom Brady. For all I know, I mean, what do you what do you think?
2: If he goes in here and and they win a couple playoff games, or or you know win the Super Bowl, or even you know get to the NFC Championship game, I think it warrants to him to stay stay on that roster. Um, you know, they have an interesting situation. They got a a, a young quarterback who and trade lands who they've you know was looking forward to being in the future, and then they got. Jimmy G, who was a backup, who's who's took them a far ways in the playoffs before as well. So that's a, I mean that's a I mean it's a good situation to have if you're them, you know you got some some good quarterbacks in your stable and they're hard to find right now, you know. So whatever the case may be, how this playoff shake out, even if Rod Purdy does go far, I think Jimmy G's I think Jimmy G is is going to be the guy who's out. Um, you know maybe they can trade him, get some draft picks for him or something. But uh, it's a a good situation for them to be in. You know, they have a couple guys that can play football.
1: Jason, looking at the Browns here, Um, Brian Flores is a candidate. He's also a candidate uh, for the head coaching job in Arizona, but here he's the candidate for the defensive coordinator job. Gerard Mayo is pulled out, which made me pretty sad. Um, There's Jim Schwartz, who's interviewed uh, Sean Desai, uh, Seattle defensive assistant but it does feel like a lot of people in Cleveland want Brian Flores. He's the perceived favorite, uh, according to at least one reporter, Albert Breer, who's on with us. Does the defensive coordinator job, should it feel like Brian Flores or bust for us?
2: No, because I really do like Jim Schwartz as well for what he's done over the years. And obviously uh, Flores has done a a nice job at some other places um, as a defensive coordinator. So, I mean, I feel like out of those two guys, you're going to get a good, uh, a, a good defensive coordinator. It seems like guys love playing for them and they play hard. Um, so I, I'm rooting for either one of those guys. You know, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm just excited to see what someone's going to be able to do coming there and, and change that defense and get everybody playing on the same page. So, you know, I really don't have a, a say, say to say that I want this guy more than this guy. I'm just open to whoever's going to go in there and make a difference. And I think either one of those guys will get that done
1: for us. Jason, we were talking to start the show about how Kevin Stefanski doesn't give me alpha male vibes. And it's it's interesting because I've been around Brian Flores for about 30 seconds. He does. And he's also a former head coach. Do you think that – should we be concerned about Kevin Stefanski's ability to to have that kind of a coach and that kind of presence – in the locker room while he tries to, to get the Browns out of two disappointing seasons and back into the playoff hunt?
2: No, um, you know, that kind of worried me about Stefanski as as well when I first, you know, learned if he was ahead of the job. You know, he's, he's kind of laid back and, you know, you don't see him get too fired up. Like, you look around the league and, you know, just for one, look at the coach in Detroit. He is all... Alpha male. And I love that. You know, I love that, the, the hollering and the screaming and the getting guys going. Um, but I think Stefanski, just, a, he's an offensive mind. He's kind of cool, relaxed, you know, you know, lets things go, Let's it, lets it even killed, doesn't get too excited, doesn't get overwhelmed. But, um, I think it actually will help if we get someone in there who's kind of an alpha, alpha male. I think they'll work well together. You know, there's always those coaches on the staff who's the, you know, the screamer, the yeller, and there's those ones who are just, uh, you know, laid back even and, and doesn't get too excited, do not not too high, not too low, so I, I think it'd help if we can get someone in there. I, I really do, and, you know, we need to change a little bit, you know, we need to change, and I'm hoping Coach Stefanski, you know, he comes out of his shell a little bit more this year and, you know, open up and not be so, you know, a, a company man, to say is how you know most most guys call it with the with the answers and the the questions and things like that. So I'm actually looking forward to it.
0: Speaking of the alpha, um, I, I, I've been saying this for a while. I think the defense needs somebody, whether it be a veteran, um, well, probably most likely a veteran to come in here. You play with Duquel Jackson, someone like that, like a thumper in the middle that was going to get get after it a little bit. I I just don't know that we have anybody like that.
2: No, I love DeQuell, man. That dude was, he was a worker and he was one of our leaders. You know, he was vocal in the locker room and, and he played well for us. You know, it'd be, I mean, we, we definitely need to add some veteran leadership to that locker room. Um, it does us well. And, you know, obviously looking back on it this year it was a, you know, there was very little leadership from what I, what I saw. Um, from those guys and there's some you know there's some interesting people that are becoming you know free agents this year and I I just hope that we don't sit back and wait and when free agency starts we start making moves and and starting to secure some of these people.
1: Jason looking to the offensive line is center or left tackle more in need of an upgrade this year?
2: You know what man watching these last couple games down the stretch I was very you know high on willis and you know him coming back and returning and 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 continuing to get better but you know i i feel like we definitely need to to maybe take a good look at the position at left tackle and see you know and and make a really uh, a strong decision and is this our guy um you know I, i don't think we need to go out and drop all the money on the center, you know, you can find a good center and, and, and pay him, and he can pay well as long as you have the guys around him to do well. Um, but if you, if you look back, you know, we've always had like a, a solid center in there for us, and they kind of paved the way, especially for that zone offense. I mean, your center is one of the more important guys um, in that kind of scheme. So I, I think they're going to take a hard look at this. This off season, the, the left tackle and the center position and, and maybe even, even the left guard, you know, Joel has been playing fantastic. Um, but you know, this is year 11 for him. Maybe they, start, you know, we, we don't know what he's going to do. Obviously he's going ret- to, hopefully he comes back and, you know, he doesn't retire. But I feel like once you start getting up to year 11 and, and year 10 and 11 is, is when, you know, you might want to start adding some younger people and get them ready. Uh, you know, so just in case someone does retire or goes out with injury that, you know, we obviously hope doesn't happen.
0: Jason, when you look back at Deshaun's six games that that he played this year, how how do you think he played?
2: Um, I I think he did okay. You know, there was obviously there was bumps and there's ups and downs, you know, as expected when you have that type of layoff. Um, you know, I've seen him make some good plays with his legs. I've seen him, uh, you know, make some good throws, and then you see some some balls like you know last week. Uh, you know, he threw some some bad balls. You know, so it, it left you kind of empty and kind of hoping. You know, that oh maybe with some more work this off season and, and and actually playing you know a longer season and more games that he can get back to being somewhat of himself. Um, it's kind of hard to say hey he's going to go back to being the old Deshaun Watson with more reps and more this and more that. Um, I remain hopeful for that. I hope it does happen, but you know, it, it, it left a lot for, to be desired and you know, hopefully those guys and you know, they can get together with some you know, all off season and, and work out and throw the ball. And he really dives into the offense and the playbook and d- does what he needs to do to, to be successful. Um, it, it definitely won't hurt, but I, I thought overall, I thought he did okay. For six games, I didn't think he was a, a world beater no, by no means. You know, we lost a couple games on a stretch, not all being his fault, but you know, it's it kind of it kind of sucks. It kind of it kind of I felt like as a fan, you know, obviously one the suspension uh kind of killed kill. I mean, it killed our it killed the season and his season. Then you know, you get to see him play for six games, and it's just like. Uh, you were hoping just to see more and you were hoping to, see, you know, with with the type of money we paid him, you wanted to see something like, wow, okay, next year, these guys are in trouble. And I, I didn't get that feeling.
1: Jason, I got to ask in about 30 seconds here, buddy. Uh, do you have optimism? The Browns will be in the playoff hunt and in the playoffs next year.
2: <laughs> There's always optimism there. You know, <laughs> I always go into it and say, next year's our year. So, uh, I, I do hope so if they can make some changes and get some personnel, you know, bring in some veterans, some, some good veterans, some guys that are going to be free agents that are signing other deals elsewhere, you know, maybe pick up a couple of linebackers, inside linebackers, add a receiver. Um, I, I think we can, we could really do it, but we just gotta, I think we need to dedicate ourselves to what we have, um, as a group. And. Obviously the coaches have to c- come together and, you know, we got to get a defensive coordinator and get everyone to buy into what we're trying to teach. And um, I think we-, we we can be a playoff team. I'd love us to see a playoff team again. Um, that was the most excitement I've had, you know, seeing them going in Pittsburgh and winning that playoff game. And then you thought next year, man, this is going to be, wow, we almost, you know, we went down to the Chiefs late here. We're going to, you know, we're going to make a nice run next year. And then it's like, oh, man, here we go again. It's like the reset button happens. So hopefully we can get it together and, and, you know, definitely make a nice playoff push. Um, I always say it. Yeah. Well, it's our year. We're going through the Super Bowl and, you know, I'm kind of, I try to not, not do that and put too much expectations on it just to see what happens. But I'm hoping that they're a playoff team next year and, and I want to see them play a home playoff game, you know, not just sneak in. I want to see them win AFC and get some playoff games at home, get a bye game, whatever it may be. And just, just the fans deserve it. That city deserves it. And, you know, I, I want to see that happen for them.
1: Jason, great stuff, buddy. Blue collar as always. We
0: appreciate the hell out of you. Thanks, buddy.
2: My man. Have a good weekend, guy. Thank you. A lot of stuff there from
1: Jason Pinkston just a few moments ago, Dusty. And it was interesting. That was in response to, to asking the question, would... Would Kevin Stefanski? Or should we be concerned about Kevin Stefanski uh, in being a, being able to have a Brian Flores in the locker room? I, and I thought that was a really well thought out answer from Pank. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm concerned about it, and I don't know. I don't know Kevin Stefanski well enough to understand his personality. Is he? Does he have too big of an ego mm-hmm. to accept somebody who's going to be a, a very like if you bring in a Brian Flores? He's a young Mike Tomlin.
1: Yeah, I. Th- it's so weird. You mentioned the ego thing. I don't know if it's ego, but ego and arrogance are are fairly closely related. And I, and I don't want to do this because I think it's easy to say, "Oh, they're blue, are they're Ivy League guys? They're bougie. They're um, they they've got egos. They're arrogant, right?" Because sure. I don't. In the the people that I've known that have gone to Ivy uh, Ivy League schools, I'm an Ivy leaguer myself. Bowling Green, there is ivy on the wall of one of the buildings. Check it out. But I have not found the, the overwhelming a- arrogance to 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 be the thing that I take from that. Now, I also don't hang out with a lot of those people. But what I would say is, I think in Kevin Stefanski's answer, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, to, to not be able to articulate a real answer to the media, there is an arrogance in that. And I thought you saw Andrew Barry's arrogance on display where. When, when they were asked about... Um, man, was it analytics? Yeah, it was, uh, was... He made some mention of, like, you know, I, I understand that there's a misconception about that, especially in this town. And it was
0: like, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. we've been talking about it for, I don't know, eight years. And it hasn't led to a lot of wins. No. Like, I don't
1: think there would be the pushback on analytics. In the Browns organization, if this was Philadelphia who by the way the if second or third most analytically inclined organization in the NFL. You know why? 6 years ago they won the Super Bowl with it. Yeah. Uh Baltimore. Baltimore 10 years ago they won the Super Bowl with it. So I think the I thought the missed opportunity in that press conference was asking whether analytics make the decision for you or whether at the end of the day it's still a human like you 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 it's still a football decision right. that's just influenced by it. But you look at this and you look at where the Browns are. To me it is it is Schwartz or Flores or bust. Unless there's a unless there's a door number five here. Right? Because we've got Desai uh, from Seattle we've yep. got Gerard Mayo who pulled out he's going to be staying in uh in Patriot land if he doesn't get the Panthers head coach Brian Flores who interviewed yesterday he's going to be interviewing for the Cardinals job and now Jim Schwartz who interviewed earlier this week if those are the four candidates I would be satisfied with either of the last two if it's Desai to me one it means Kevin Stefanski did Is make Desai the gonna make you sigh He'll make me detired. No, I'm sorry. That wasn't great. That was my bad. I will own that. That was not a great joke. But, and by the way, it's not that he's friends with Kevin Stefanski. No. It's, his defense was bad in Chicago. Mm -hmm. The defense wasn't great in Seattle. And he doesn't have a lot of experience and he's not a former NFL head coach. So, whereas, it's funny because we played the Joe Thomas thing earlier in the hour. Or, sorry, early last hour where Joe was like, people tend to favor head coaches that are the new sexy coordinator hire and yeah, not retread. The, the unknown. I tend to like retread head coaches more because you can quantify. Like Flores is a head coach. Stephen Ross has never had a consistent winning organization in his time in Miami. Didn't matter the head coach, the GM, the quarterback. Didn't matter why Stephen Ross isn't a good, uh, good owner. He's shady of an owner. And while Stephen Ross was trying to get Tom Brady on his yacht and colluding to get Tom Brady to Miami, Brian Flores said, I'm not going to be on your yacht. I got to go win some games. So uh, the fact that he's one game below 500, he might as well have won a damn Super Bowl in Miami. So that, But you can quantify Jim Caldwell in Indianapolis and in, uh, in Detroit. You can quantify Jim Schwartz in Detroit yeah. by looking at the context of the organization. Does anybody really know if Ben Johnson's going to be a great head coach? Because he's kind con- of... The idea is, well, I know the ceiling on this, this experienced coach, right? I know the ceiling because this is what he's been. Well, the ceiling without the context doesn't matter. There's no context for inexperienced head coaches. And that's why the Stefanski thing, like, in part, yes, Aditi was right. Head coaches do not walk into the NFL ready-made. Very few guys, like outside of like when Parcells took over the Giants, outside like, and there were a couple times in history where guys have had immediate success, but for the most part, Sean McVay, it's an impossible job, like it really is. So I'm cool to say Kevin Stefanski needs to grow and get better, but this hire. This hire will will tell us worlds whether he makes the hire or they make the hire whether whether it's Jim Schwartz or Brian Flores or Sean Desai. And it does feel to some degree to me, not to be too hyperbolic or too dramatic, it does feel like in some ways this this hire will determine will go a long way to determining whether Kevin Stefanski's here next year or not. How so? Because the right D- head coach Depending on who they get? Yes, because the right the right defensive coordinator can get this defense into the top sixteen, and that should give you a chance with Deshaun Watson to be in the playoffs next year.
0: Listen, the- my my gut would tell me right now if Stefanski was picking, he, he'd hire Schwartz over Flores because Flores is more of a threat.
1: Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think that's the wrong. That's.
0: I mean, that's just a total gut opinion. I mean, yeah. Based on nothing, but it yeah. just. I. I just feel like if I was Stefanski, I probably wouldn't want someone. To and, be in a role where they could they could easily slide in and take my job,
1: and I don't think you should be disappointed if it is him. You know what I no, mean? I like Schwartz. Like even it, even though at that point it feels there was like once a time I, I
0: wanted Schwartz to be our head coach. Was it twenty twenty? I forget when. There's been so many.
1: There's a part of me. I'll be honest. Listen, the fan part of me is like, well, he was on that staff in 93, 94, 95, right? But then again, I do have a, a, a just lack of trust in in Jimmy Haslam's just obsession with the New England Patriots. It's like The Sopranos. All right, it's <sighs> over. Move on. To quote, forgetting Sarah Marshall. So, uh we'll get back to the Browns in a little bit here, but uh last night Cavaliers get the big 119-113 win over Portland. With that win, they're back in fourth place, Dustin. What's that Cavs hype panic scale meeting now? Are we back to full-blown hype or are we back are we still somewhere in the middle?
0: Uh I think we're uh we're calming down a little bit. I, you know, I was getting texts at halftime like, you know, Bickerstaff can't coach, <laughs> yeah. can't coach on the road. Yeah. This team's, you know, got no heart. And the the rotations, I mean, Kev, get rid of Kevin Love. Why are we playing Ricky Rubio? These were all the like texts I got last night.
1: I time. do like that they played 10 last night. I did like that. And actually, you mentioned Ricky Rubio. For a guy that only played 10 minutes, he had nine points. And I thought he looked kind of smooth last night. I can't remember the Portland defender, but he had one of their big wings on him, and he drove to the basket, got right by him, got a pretty
0: easy layup. Like I remember that in the second quarter.
1: I It's going to be tough. I think with Ricky, there are going to be nights where he's what he was last night, and there are going to be nights where he's kind of disappears. But if, if that Ricky Rubio is the aggregate that you get over the rest of the season, all of a sudden I'm even more excited because I think it's going to free up JB with the rotations a bit. And I think it's – and I'm hoping – and it's tough because, like, you've only really got 20 more games until the playoffs stretch start. The next 20 games are your time to take some of these minutes off Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. If you don't do it by game 60, he's going to have – he's going to be top he's 10. He's
0: going to have a lot of tread on those tires.
1: And on in one way, I get it because you, last year they had a winning culture. I think what Donovan is trying to institute is something beyond just a nebulous winning culture. I think he's trying to establish like a a championship winning culture, and how you do that is you just—it's the way you attack every single night. And so I think, I think that has led to some of the disparities on home away. I think sometimes Darius doesn't know to know how to act because Donovan does go into "I'm going to win this damn game" mode. I think sometimes Evan doesn't know how to act because, well, whether it's Donovan Mitchell going into hero mode or Darius Garland goes off, I think he doesn't know how to act. So, like, it's funny. I I think the next 40 games, we talked about this yesterday, I think the next 40 games set up really well. I think Rubio coming back and looking good really gives me even more faith on this. Yeah. I still think there's probably a trade out there they got to make. I don't know what you give up. Tim Hardaway? I think I think Hardaway, it a yeah, Hardaway for Karis LeVert deal feels like you're selling low on Karis LeVert though. Yeah, I
0: just I would so much rather have Hardaway.
1: But Hardaway's not I'm like he's technically I guess now they list him as a small forward. Yeah. 6'5". So, he's good. Yeah, the space. I He hits big shots, dude. I mean like And he's a good three-point shooter, which is going to help you. Yeah. But the problem
0: is I think that puts
1: all the pressure
0: on Mobley. I, I I don't know about you, but every time Karis Lavert touches the basketball, I feel like Clenched. he's going to turn it over. Clench a little bit, yeah. Pucker. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, it's going to be. A, he's going to bounce it off somebody's foot. I think it's in his head now too. I think. Am, that's, I, am I am I wrong? No,
1: I he, don't think you're wrong. Okay. I I think we're at the point where it's in Karis's because I think every fan feels it, and I think some of this is he's just never paid off because of what happened last year, the injury after getting traded for like. He's just never paid off what you wanted him to be, and it, I think I think inevitably you are going to have to sell low on him. You're going to have to trade him to somebody for somebody with a longer contract uh, to take on what is perceived as a bad contract, but for a player who's going to fit more the style of what you need. Tim Hardaway Jr. I actually think is is pretty. Because of that three point shooting ability, I think Mm. he'd go really far in your starting lineup. And then you have a Coro as kind of your your, it's a Coro and Mobley trying to stop the the big the big stretch four kind of guys in the playoffs. It was interesting because you don't win that game without what Evan Mobley gives you in that fourth quarter. And I think last night in the fourth quarter was a great reminder of of why it's worth it to be patient with Evan Mobley. Because that was a dominant defensive performance, and even though the offense isn't where we want it to be just yet, Dusty, yeah. every time he has one of those games, whether it's in the post or even if you kind of see it more out on the perimeter where he takes somebody on and and, and kind of gives them hell, that to me is where his value is going to be in in the short term.
0: By the way, how about the uh, the little connection with him and Allen, the alley-oops back and forth to each other? I know. I've, I mean, there was like five in the first, like, I don't know. First quarter of the game. I just. How many times have you seen two bigs
1: who, to some people, they they call them like redundancies. It, it looks
0: don't. like they're just playing like a yep. like against a bunch of seventh graders. Yep.
1: And they just toss it up. They're like dunk. Yep. It'd be like you and me playing up against the, my twin eight year olds. That's what it would look like. Without the dunking, it would not be the dunking.
0: <laughs> Are you going to be dunking? No, I will not okay. be dunking. put I the just had bursitis from
1: walking. I will not be dunking. You'll be. You'll go to my funeral next week. What happened? He tried to dunk. <laughs> it's the end of Nick Wilson. The net hurt him. He, he hung himself on the net. It's the only way me dunking, me attempting a dunk ends. But Judas Priest. But while we talk about this, Kendrick Perkins, whom I love. I, lo- I got to say oh, that. Oh,
0: here comes the butt.
1: Oh, here is the ample uh, posterior on this one. He was on NBA TV. Uh, NBA. Bay,
0: you are blue collar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> NBA Today on ESPN earlier this week and had some criticisms of Evan Mobley. This is insane to me. Uh, Evan Mobley is averaging almost nine rebounds a game, three assists per game, a block and a half per game, and 14 points per game, all while playing next to one of the best defensive centers in the NBA who could easily, if, if Jared Allen wasn't here, his defensive numbers would be even like more monstrous because he get yeah. twice the the block attempts. I I understand the over the big picture thought on on Evan Mobley, but this felt like a gross overreaction to a kid who at the same he's 21 years old and he, it's year and a half
0: into the NBA. Yeah, I think that's a bit of an overreaction. I mean, the guy give him a chance here. I mean, he's had a, he had a really good rookie season. Mm-hmm. I think we maybe put too much on like his his plate expectation-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, going into this season, I think that's certainly possible.
1: I I also think like I think Evan Mobley and Darius Garland' seasons got a lot more difficult when they traded for Donovan Mitchell. This isn't the Cavs are no longer a feel good story. The Cavs are no longer everybody's favorite uh, NBA TV or their NBA league pass team to watch because when you trade for Donovan Mitchell, the expectations change. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I did it too. I said, well, can he give you 20 points a game? The reality is, it, Evan Mobley's so good that he gives you something in every facet of the game. So even, and I I, I, I want to say, I heard Lima say it today, talking about Evan Mobley being a little uh, uncertain on the offensive side of the ball with some of the shots he's taking right now. Totally agree. But at the same point, still fine for lobs. At the same point, still a uh, a really, really high-level defender at points-dominant defenders we saw last night. Mm-hmm. Great passer, great rebounder. Like, I just think it might be possible that when you bring in Donovan Mitchell and how the ball moves changes, I think it also might have, I don't want to say stunted his growth, but stunted the offensive scoring number growth. I think that's fair. And, and that should be okay. Like, if it takes Evan Mobley one extra year, to, to be Chris Bosh or Kevin Garnett. Got By the way, Kevin Garnett was not Kevin Garnett his first year. Chris Bosh was a really good player on a piss-poor team. Okay, like everybody that we talk about in comparison to him, unless it's Bill Russell, didn't have to be the guy. Right away. Year one. And by the way, he doesn't have to be the guy. He just has to be one of the Cavs' four best players this year, which he has been. So to some degree... Because it's not just Kendrick Perkins. I think a lot of Cleveland NBA Twitter is impatient with Evan Mobley, and I think you're off your friggin' rocker. Like would I love to see him shooting better from three point? Would I love to see him uh be a little bit more confident and handle the ball when he brings up the bring the ball up the court more? Yeah, I'd love to. I also think the guy's a friggin' unicorn and let me put it this way. I don't wanna I don't wanna kill this kid with expectations. Because he's the goal, or he's the key to their championship, hopes. Donovan Mitchell's the guy that gets you into the conversation.
0: I don't know, Nick. I mean, I feel like he was before we got Mitchell.
1: I So, Donovan Mitchell's the guy that I think gets you into the conversation. I think Evan Mobley, given that this is a wing league and a big, I still think it's more of a big league than a, uh, a little league. Than a than a small guard league, yeah. Because like Jokic and Embiid and guys like that, and again unicorns. But I think his ability to defend inside and out gives you a chance. But offensively, when Evan Mobley can score 25 points a game, the Cavs, uh, if if Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are still here, the Cavs will be a title favorite. But you can't rush that. Right, I agree with that. Two one six five seven eight double o nine two. Let's go with. Don! Don, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us?
3: Good afternoon, guys. Hey, um, I, I like what you said about Mobley, and I hate what Perkins said. Here's the thing. That dude is so young, and he's not even done growing. I'm not saying height-wise. I'm saying filling out his body. And like you just alluded to, we don't need him to be the guy, and I actually don't want him to be the guy right now. We have a top-five player in the NBA in Donovan Mitchell, And what I do disagree with you with is I think Donovan Mitchell could be the guy to actually get us over the top if we get there. I think he's that good. But at the end of the day, Mobley shouldn't be expected, and I love the fact that you said you don't want to put the expectations on him because we have a really, really good team, and they're not done yet. So the fact that Mobley is putting up pretty decent numbers in his second year, and let's face it, all sophomores, they they hit a wall to a certain degree most of them do, anyway. So it's like, hey, Evan Mobley's still good, and this is positionless basketball we're talking about in today's NBA for the most part. Um, Evan Mobley's going to become one of these guys like LeBron started years and years ago. He can play or defend almost every position on the court. So all this criticism of Mobley is just—it's unwarranted and it's silly. Well, He's a and- really good young player. He's going to get better, and we have a stud in Mitchell who should be taking most of the shots.
1: And can I tell you what it is? It really is. Thank you for the call, Don. Really good stuff in there. I think the shots at Mobley are because people have elevated their expectations for Cleveland. Mm -hmm. But offensively, his numbers are very similar to what they were last year. And he's done that when when the Cavs have added a ball-dominant scoring undersized guard. I think that actually might be more of a win than you think. And you look at like guys who you know now this is a wing player, not more of a big wing hybrid, whatever you want to call Evan. But like Miles Bridges scored 13 points a game roughly first first three years, and then two years ago turned into a 20 point a night guy. It takes time. And by the way, don't even get me started on Bigs taking time to become good. Uh, James Wiseman still hasn't done diddly squat in the NBA. Joel Embiid didn't pay off until year three because of injuries. Big, uh, offensively, bigs can take longer to get where you need them to be early in their career.
0: TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
1: clock at four. Donchich. The step back three.
2: You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and good.
0: even podcasts. Whatever you love.